Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, coming live from Bradenton, Florida, it's Matt Penny, where he's on the road doing fucking grassroots basketball shit because that's what he does Mm -hmm. penny what's going on man what up ben uh i'm living out of a a suitcase really like a country music song i feel like (laughs) just change my clothes doing some laundry on the road i went home for about 16 hours from pangos in vegas and now i'm down at img academy for a future 60 under armor camp tomorrow top 32 boys and girls from the ua circuit and still podcasting still following along here on the twitter machine and uh, on the podcast machine with you which is great Anything you want to point out from Pangos? Pangos is weirdly one of the few events that like I miss most from not mm. living in the United States. Cause like I can't like I can't swing coming over there for just Pangos, right? Like it's just not economically feasible as much as I love the event. But it is weirdly like a great opportunity to see a lot of really, really great young players all in one place. It's a catch-all across brands, and that's why I love it. Yeah. That's why I've gone the last few years because I see so much of the Under Armour guys, and then during the high school season, I'll see the elite high schools, elite prep schools, but you don't see as many guys in, in one place, and, and that's why you pull the Nike guys in, the Adidas, the Independent, our Under Armour guys, and actually line up against each other. And, yes, there's times and many times where it devolves into just up and down. It's a dunk show. And oh, I, I'm, I have my laptop out. I'm taking notes, and after – 20 minutes just close it I'm like i'm just gonna watch some basketball and not read too far into this one yeah. right now but the the beautiful thing is the games don't start till about three o'clock in the afternoon day two so if you want to go vegas it up go ahead i was recording uh draft videos with you in my hotel room <laughs> that's probably says more about me than uh than vegas but there is something for everybody and it's a it's such a wide swath of guys that i was able to to get eyes on and not watch mixtapes and videos despite it becoming a mixtape and video too yeah i mean like literally there will be times where like you know midway through practice they will stop and like do a dunk contest like right at the end of the first session right well there was there was one game where uh elliot cadeau from new york uh he dunked on a player i I won't say toward the end of the game there's like eight seconds left and it was like so much of a statement that everyone just looked at each other like yeah we're good we're done they just like stopped the cameraman came on the court they like showed the video to each other like watching it like this is it this is summer basketball at its finest i remember one time gottlieb was coaching one of the teams and i think anthony edwards dunked so hard on johnny juzang like one of the most impressive dunks i've ever seen in my life and Doug was coaching one of the two teams. I can't remember which one of the two he was coaching. And he just looks over in his face is like, <laughs> as I, as for the people listening on the podcast, it was like, I'm Oh boy. Like this and, was yeah, saw, <laughs> saw, <man>. backing <laughs> up. Like, snatch from him via basketball. 
Yeah, like literally, like he just saw a ghost like walk on the court. It was just like, oh no, what just yeah, happened? Yeah, you know here? what? Now that I'm, now I'm processing. I, I wasn't at that event, but I remember those Anthony dunks too. And that's when he first like kind of made his like actual national statement thing of like, ooh, this could like really be a thing. Anthony Edwards might be like yeah. really, really good. Yeah, when I saw Ant that day, I was just like, oh, this is definitely a top five pick. <laughs> like, this, this looks different. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he stands out among the dunk contest. He still stands out as a an elite and a supreme dunker. But yeah. but what also I thought was cool, kind of not subplot, but a lot of times in these camps it becomes guard shows. It's it's just guards pulling yeah. a jacket. They had really good bigs, like really really good bigs. Bayfall mm. from Colorado was awesome. Xavier Booker, uh, who was to Cathedral High School in in Indiana, he's like a top five guy now. Duke just offered Auburn just offered lefty shooter. The first time I saw him and and they played night one back and forth and i'm on court one watching i'm like this is perfect that's not what we're talking about today we're not talking pangos as much as we love pangos yes but we are going to talk nba draft fits we're going to talk 2022 fits among the best prospects in this class yeah our idea here is we're going to go deep into the players in the top 10, 12, 14, something like that. And whatever their reasonable draft range is. So for Jabari Smith, Jabari Smith's reasonable draft range is somewhere between one through three. Yeah. We're going to discuss <laughs> the best fit for Jabari Smith among the teams one through three in this class the way that i didn't really explain to matt what (laughs) i was thinking in terms of what i meant by fit so we might have different ideas here but i'm kind of combining the two ideas of best team fit and best fit for the player so what i mean by that is best fit for the player to get the most out of his skill set because Maybe there are some ancillary pieces that really make sense and could be valuable for him to play with. Or on top of that, I also mean uh, the team needs this guy to be able to come in and play. Sometimes that will also mean coaching development. So obviously with the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans have an incredible track record of being able to teach guys to shoot and uh, being able to just draft these versatile guys and make it work. Right? So we're considering a few different factors here when we discuss the idea of fit. Uh, Matt, how did you go about this idea? Did you put this much thought into it as I did? Uh, I did. I put, I put a lot of thought into it. I, our paths are a little different. I did take those factors into consideration. I didn't make the range too crazy, but as soon as you said Jabari Smith's range, I'm like, Oh, this is one or two. Uh, I was yeah, a, sure. a, a little bit uh, further out, not, not too wild, but for the most part, I think we're aligned with our, our way of thinking here. Yeah. And like someone like Dyson Daniels, where the range gets a little bit wider, like for me, the range was something like six to 12. Right. So like I even tried to like expand it a little bit more. Like I'd be a little bit surprised Dyson went six. I'd be a little bit surprised if you fell to 12, but I wanted to be a little bit more inclusive of the whole thing as we were going through and doing this. So Penny, I mean, do you have anything else you want to say here? I, I have one more thing I want to say. I did have some duplicates because I do think there's a few teams you can spin it. It's like the same answer. I, I would like to do this for the whatever, 10, 12 guys. 
at the end, I have a running tally here. For the teams that we didn't select, I think we should go back and say, hey, we missed uh, Washington. Who's the guy yeah. actually for Washington? Just so it's all represented and we don't have people yelling at us like, why do you have four people on the Rockets? That is not how math works. There's a lottery. You have one sure. pick. So don't yell. We'll, we'll, I promise we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with Jabari Smith, yeah. who is currently the favorite uh, via sports books. I mean, drastically the favorite. I think he's going off at minus 200 to be the number one overall pick. I'll be honest. I don't see a lot of value at him at minus 200 to go number one. Um but I'll well, I'll have a mock draft next week, and I'll explain intel on that front. The goal with this is not to release intel. Mm. Um, the goal is to talk about his fit. So Jabari Smith, who is the best fit among his reasonable draft range? I actually think it's the Orlando Magic. I do too. <laughs> Good. We're, we're we're starting off strong because Orlando shot. 33% from three last year, which was 28th out of 30th. They have all the guards. They do, right? You just extended Wendell Carter. For Jabari Smith Jr. to come in, just make shots. They have creators. We've talked about that's the one thing he can't really do. He can't take it off the bounds. He can defend. He can shoot. He can't create his own. They have enough creators. Just go in there and shoot. They're desperate for like that type of role and that type of player. That's why it fits so seamlessly. I know it's a cop-out. Probably people are like, yeah, he's first. We just said he's minus 200, and that's the pick. Uh, I would still go Chet because that's a swing I would take. But in, in purely team fit and structure and dynamics, Jabari Smith, the magic makes the most sense. I have a spin of that after a rebuttal, but the magic is my first pick. Yeah, no, I'm not going to rebut that. I actually agree with you. So the, the reason that I agree with you more than anything is I really like the front court mix of Franz Wagner, mm-hmm. Jabari Smith, and Wendell Carter. I know that they still have Jonathan Isaac in that mix as well. They still have Chuma Okiki as well. But I think particularly that first trio, their skill set meshes really well together. Wendell is a really tough physical rebounder. He could use someone who can rotate over from the weak side. He could use someone who's a little bit more mobile at the four. Uh, Franz Wagner can play the three and the four. He's a really sharp, smart defender. And on top of it, he can run some secondary ball screens in a way that, you know, Jabari might be able to really help and utilize like it might really help Jabari to have someone like that early in his career while he develops that ability to be able to take guys off the bounce uh I really like that fit a lot yeah Uh, I think that on top of it you look at the guards that Orlando does have I think they're actually pretty okay as distributors. Like Markel Fultz is a pretty good distributor now. Uh, you know, Jalen Suggs is a good distributor. I actually really liked his passing and playmaking this year, even if the shooting was a calamity. Uh, and then Cole Anthony can make plays in ball screens as well that he's shown. He's definitely a bit more of a scorer, but I really like the idea of putting Jabari there and letting him develop both for the player and for the team, because I think the team they really need a score. Like they need the guy that can go get a bucket at any point. And I do think that by the time Jabari is 23 years old, that is going to be him. Like he's going to be able to just get to his spots. He's going to be strong enough. He's going to have the high release point. He's already an elite shooter. Uh, I I think he's the guy that kind of meshes everything together that fits best for the Orlando magic at number one. 
Beautifully said. I want to spin it on its head for for one second. And I know the the new thing is people hate trades and like mock drafts. Like, don't do a trade. Don't live in fantasy world. Just just take the guy of who it is. So bear with me for a minute. The Pistons have a ton of cap space, right? They do. So hypothetically, say the Pistons signed DeAndre Ayton to a max deal. If they rolled out a lineup with DeAndre Ayton, had Jabari Smith. You have Sadiq Bay. You sign in a versatile shooter and Cade Cunningham. That's not a bad core. That's a good thing to roll out there where Cade Cunningham has more options as shooters. You have the versatility of Sadiq Bay. Can still shoot, but he's kind of more of like a mid-post guy now. You get a free agent. DeAndre takes the physicality, the rebounding, the rim running, the, the shot blocking, and Jabari can just play his game. I know this is like three things that will never happen, but that was like the pick where they're 29th in the league in three-point percentage at 32.6. Run those pick-and-rolls all day. You have somebody behind you. So that's that's a dream world. That's a fantasy. And in short, yeah, it's the magic. But the Pistons would be fun, too. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. But I, I just don't know how he gets to the Pistons. No, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Or, like, how they even move up. Like, I, I don't yeah, think you so have You'd have to give one, one. one of those pieces. But that's why my list was a little bit more liberal than yours of, hey, what, what about the, the top five here? Yeah. Okay. The number two prospect uh, that we're going to talk about is Chet Holmgren. Mm. And Matt Penny knows Chet's game better than anyone, probably in the public sphere. You've seen Chet more than anyone in the public sphere for sure. Uh, What do you think is the best fit for him moving forward? I think it's Oklahoma City Thunder who have the second pick in the draft. Okay. Why? The developmental timeline is the first thing because you go there and it's patience and it's repetition over the immediacy of production. You're not being picked into that place and into that culture and being like, hey, man, you need to average 17 and 8 or this is viewed as a bust. They don't see it that way. You can't really say trust the process anymore because I think Philadelphia fans get mad or think it worked, didn't work. I don't know if we think it worked anymore. Philadelphia is always yelling regardless. But for Oklahoma City, they can be committed to both his process and theirs. Uh, there's not like it has to be a win right now. You're probably two years away from that. But I like the idea offensively of him taking off the rim, pushing ahead with Shea, pushing ahead with Giddy. You have some perimeter toughness with Lou Dort. And Sam Presti is going to take risks on guys like this. Uh, I've joked to some other scouts and media people that he might just take somebody that we haven't even like thought of, like Keegan Murray's going to go second, Jaden Ives going to second, maybe. But for Chet, that's the best place of like the slow burn of let, let's heat it up a little bit and not throw him into the mix right away and have this expectation that he has to dominate from day one. Yeah, I think that my pick would be Oklahoma City purely because the timeline matches up, right? Like. I think that they're going to be patient enough to let Chet develop his frame at his own pace to where it makes sense. I think they would get the best out of Chet. In terms of like team needs and like what what an organization could use, I think Houston like could really use Chet. Uh, they need a tough motherfucker who is a competitive dude who will step in and give them all sorts of like real defensive upside with that core. Uh, Alper and Shengun, not a good defender in the front court, but actually kind of meshes well. I think that Chet would really unlock Shengun in a big way uh, because of his ability to space the floor. They could play five out while playing six ten and seven foot across the front court on offense. And then defensively, Chet would just cover up a lot of the holes that, 
Shengun brings you. Jalen Green, obviously not like some terrific defender. Kevin Porter improved defensively this year, but I think having a spacing five uh, that could play lineups with Kevin Porter, uh, it, it has been shown to really help him, I think, substantially in the way that he can attack the rim. Because obviously they have Christian Wood already, who's a yeah. threat to be able to space the floor. So in terms of like the team that could use Chet the most, I do think it's Houston. But I worry that Houston could potentially, just with Tillman Fertitta in that ownership group, try to speed up the timeline a little bit in a way that concerns me when it comes to developing Chet's frame long-term. I do think Chet is just so competitive that he's going to be able to play from day one and be okay. But I don't know if he's going to be at his best. And I worry that that would uh, – the the desire to speed up the timeline would be a little bit concerning to me. Uh, in that vein, I do think that Oklahoma City, who also needs a center, also needs a defensive centerpiece next to Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy. I think that their willingness to take this a little bit more slowly, develop it uh, a little bit more uh, patiently, probably makes it a little bit better of a fit for Chet as the player. And then they also have a real need for him. And he fits the scheme they want to play. They want to play five out. They want to be able to shoot, uh, space the floor from the five position, as we've seen with guys like Isaiah Roby sliding down to the five. Um, I think Chet is probably the best fit for Oklahoma City, and I think Oklahoma City is the best fit for Chet Holmgren. Uh, it seems like a, a town and a fan base that would embrace him too because he had like the halfway thing with Poku and, and see how it, it works out. And I don't know if you saw the clip that, that made its rounds when a reporter asked Chet, who's the best player in the NBA? And he paused for a second. And he goes, me in two months. And just like deadpan, and that's one, his personality, but two, he believes it, not even from like a cocky perspective. Like he doesn't know that he's 195 pounds, but he's going to work on his body. I know now all the frame stuff is like popping up for like the fifth time, like heavily, like the wave is back. Like, I don't know the frame, like we've, we've discussed this ad nauseum. You you believe it or you don't. I believe he's going to fill out. I I believe that he's going to be a really good pro. I take him one. I like with Oklahoma City. So if he goes two, he goes three. We just outlined two really good landing points for him too. Yeah. I keep going back and forth again on him and Jabari. Oh, God. I I can't. It's going to be one of the two for me at number one. I'm not sure which one, but I think they're both so good at this. I think that they're both such interesting players in such divergent ways uh, with their games because – Jabari, I think, has a chance to be a really high-level scorer, like a legit 25-point-per-game scorer if it all breaks right. I think Chet's value is a little bit more um, – it's a That's little bit swing. more on the margins. Yeah, like, it's a it's, swing, right? It's like these are, the, these are the ones we try to go for. It is. Like yeah. how, safe, how safe do you want to play it? Like Oklahoma and, and City first, that, I think they still would probably go Chet. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Chet goes fifth. Who, who, what do I know anymore? Who like knows, these are right? these are these are. What do you say? Who knows, right? Right. Like, like I was, and this is just me because I'm messed up. I'm on the plane. And I'm just like, maybe I'm just all wrong. Maybe the top five is just like at the tankathon button. I just got to like jumble it up. If if you yeah. told me Jaden Ives is the best in this class in five years, I'd say maybe. You told me Chet yeah. Jabari, and now an easy segue. The guy we're about to talk about. 
I'm like having second thoughts about Paul Bancaro. Have I just been like too critical this whole time? This guy's like Plotman right now, day one, he's going to get you 18 points a game. Why are we overthinking this? That's that's possible too. Yeah. And, And like with Jabari as well, or with Chet, I'm sorry. A thing that I really truly keep thinking about with Chet is this idea that the best players in the NBA, they very rarely have comparables, right? Yeah. Like you point. very rarely can point to someone even back when they were prospects. Right. And you go, Oh, that's who they were like. Right. LeBron is different. Like you can go LeBron, like there's some magic Johnson there, but someone like Giannis and Tedekumpo, like he's, he doesn't really have a precedent. Right. Uh, you know, Rudy Gobert didn't really have a precedent on the defensive end. Right. Uh, just in terms of the length and everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of like some other examples off the top of my head. Like Joel Embiid, I guess sort of had Akeem Olajuwon, but like yeah, Joel is just way bigger uh, and like has more of a perimeter game than Akeem. It's just like kind of a different game now than when Akeem played and was on the block and dream shaking guys and everything like that. Uh, a lot of the best players in the league, I mean, Nikola Jokic is probably the prime example of this, by the way. Uh, I guess you could maybe say Arvidas Sabonis, but yeah. like Jokic is better than Arvidas Sabonis was. Having watched a good amount of Sabonis tape, as good as Arvidas was, and he's a genuine Hall of Famer. Uh, it's just hard oftentimes to point to the players that are like other players with today's NBA. And I think that front offices, they get worried about what a player can and can't be. Uh, Because if you can't visualize it, because there's not a precedent for it, it's hard to be creative. It's harder to be creative than it is to fit something into a tight box. Right. And with Chet, you can't fit him into a tight box. So, It's, I it's, just it's, it's building a house with a blueprint, but you got great builders like the best because best supplies, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. Like you have blueprints for some of these other guys, but you can't put Chet in a box. See, people say, "Oh, he's just Porzingis." No, he's not. Like kind of the no. frame kind of looks like that, but like that's not who he is. So, so who is? Oh, he's Poku. No, he's not Poku. Like that. That's not who he would be. You could not easily, but it's easier to kind of label the Jabari's and, and the Apollo's and Jaden Ivey's a little bit. And those guys are really good prospects. I'm not saying yeah. just because they're, they're easily labeled, they're not like at that level, but yeah, it's like keep Austin weird, keep Chet weird, keep prospects weird. That's, that's like the good thing about it. You, you got to have some stones to take them though. You do because if his body breaks down three years, I don't think we're going to say, wow, surprised by that. Did not anticipate that to be a lot of people yeah. on Twitter comments saying like, we told you the, the body wasn't there. Uh, yeah, I, totally. I, think it, I, I think it will. Okay, let's go to Paulo. Paulo Bancaro, where is his best fit, or who is the best fit for Paulo Bancaro? Well, you just you just spoke so glowingly about about Houston, and I think just based on his range, that's where I would put him. I, I don't care that they drafted Alperen Sengun and, and Usman Garuba a year ago. Who knows what happens with Christian Wood and Kevin Porter Jr. John Wall again? But I sort of like the fire and ice pairing of him with Jalen Green, who played really well to end the year. And Paolo would bring you immediate toughness, that winning mentality of being a Final Four and being at Duke and having so much success in high school. And it's a place that I think that will really embrace the chip on his shoulder he's going to have if he goes third overall. Paul Bancaro believes he's the best player in the draft and, like, lives it. It's not lip service. Like, he thinks he's the best player and doesn't understand why he's not number one on all the boards. 
they're going to like get the most out of that with that fuel. I don't think he's going to get complacent and be there. Jalen Green heard the same stuff the first half of the season, and then he turned it on late at the end and had this great finish to the year. You take that guy, and now you have Paolo, and they're kind of running together. That's a good base to build upon, regardless of what happens with everything else on the roster. So for Paulo, I considered his like reasonable draft range one through three again. I would be surprised if he got out of the top three. Mm-hmm. So considering the top teams, right? Paulo loves to operate in that mid post range. And Orlando's core, like Wendell Carter, as much as we like the idea of Wendell Carter shooting, tends to operate more in that area. Uh they don't have a ton of shooting right now. I worry that Paulo would get a little bit crowded there and we wouldn't see the best out of him, right? Uh, while he's developing his three-point shot. I'm not worried about that happening long-term. And if Orlando thinks Paulo is the best player in the draft, I think they should just take him and like figure it out. Um, I, I don't have that. I think Jabari is a little bit better than he is because I trust Jabari defensively and I trust his movement skills a little bit more and I trust the shot a little bit more. But like, if Orlando thinks that, Orlando should take Paulo. Um, Oklahoma City, I think it's easier to work around two-star questionable defenders than it is to work around three. And in Oklahoma City, if you drafted Paulo, you'd be working with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is not a very good defender right now, Josh Giddy, who is not a very good defender, and Paulo, who... We have defensive questions about in terms of translation. Like, I thought that he got toasted a little bit on the perimeter defensively at Duke. Uh, I thought that some of it probably was engagement related at times. Like, not always. I think in the games that mattered, he engaged and turned it up. But there were moments where it was concerning. Uh, In Houston, I worry a little bit about pairing that with Jalen Green. Yeah. But I also think the way that he would play off of Jalen Green in a two-man game, and you could say this about Oklahoma City as well, um, I think the way he would play off of Jalen Green with his scoring ability in the two-man game would be exceptional because the thing that Paulo adds that Jalen Green doesn't quite have yet and maybe could develop is the passing ability. Paulo's passing ability is and remains the thing that nobody in the mainstream seems to want to talk about, but is his best skill, I think. I think Paulo's best ability is his uh, ability to diagnose help defenses and make plays for his teammates. Like he throws pocket passes to Mark Williams. He throws lobs to Mark Williams. Mm -hmm. Uh, He throws high-level kickout reads like on the move while spinning. He's just a very effective player. I really want to see that two-man game with him and Jalen Green. Like that's what I keep coming back to. (laughs) I was like, like, where are we going? Are you going to throw like the Pistons at me or Pacers? And I'm glad Houston. We're three for three. So it's far. Houston, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I really truly do believe that Houston would be great. Uh, I, I don't love the idea of pairing him in the front court with Alper and Shangun. Mm-hmm. I don't love the idea of pairing him in the front court with Alper and, or with, uh, Demonis Sabonis either, if it was Sacramento. Uh, and they just expended an enormous resource to acquire Demonis Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, the Pistons would be great. I'm I'm all for the Pistons, but again, I think that there's no way he falls to five. So I think it's Houston. I think Houston makes a whole lot of sense for Paulo. And I think the two man game for Jalen green and him is the ultimate building block for a team looking for building blocks. Uh, after the departure of Jalen or James Harden. 
Yeah, they're they're great blocks, and and that's why I went there too. Similar in age, and like that similar sort of type of play. They can just play off of each other, and there's some simplicity to to what they do while also having these athletic gifts. And yeah, Paulo is as good as a big man passer, probably in this draft. I'm just off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of of anyone else I, there. I, I think he's the best passer, like among all lottery picks in this class, like point blank. Like over I think Dyson. he's a better passer than Dyson Daniels. Yeah, I do. The Dyson assist tape is, is pretty fancy. Like when he takes off the rim and throws that rope, whatever eighty feet. It's like yeah. that is that is uh, that's impressive. Spicy. Uh, it, it's spicy, but he he gets slow down in the half court. He does. It, it's almost like Paulo's passes are more like weaponized in the half court. It's, Dyson's yeah. are so like th- there was one highlight I saw where he caught it. It was like on his back foot. He was like waiting for the alley to develop. And then threw it. That was just like G League defense. The guy wasn't close out hard enough. That's that pass isn't going to happen in the NBA. Where Apollo's, it's it's more in traffic, as I like to say. Yeah, the question for Dyson, and we'll talk about Dyson, but like yeah, the, we'll, the we'll reason be- I would take Paulo as a passer over Dyson is because I think that Paulo can actually break down defenders and create angles with his ability to create mismatches and force doubles mm-hmm. uh in a way where I worry just a little bit about Dyson. Uh, I think that it's going to be a little bit more functional for Paulo. Um, Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. We will be right back and we will discuss more of the best fits in the 2022 NBA draft. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, 
I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Benny, I got good news. We, oh, yeah. got, we got questions, baby. We got questions in the mailbag as we get back into it. It's going to be great. We're going to have an awesome time here. But let's keep going through these drafts. When games. do we not have an awesome time? This is for our enjoyment, fulfillment, and just somehow it's posted on the internet and some people listen and watch. It really is. That's what it feels like, right? <laughs> like we just get to have these awesome just conversations. Talking hoops. Talk Took a yeah. few notes. So we talk hoops together. And now we have to talk Jaden Ivey. There's a great guy to talk hoops about. And this is a fascinating one. Because the first three, like it kind of went along the lines of the draft order, Mm -hmm. right? Um, What what do you think Jaden Ivey's best fit is in this class? So I I have an answer. I've said Detroit previously, but I have a good. I have a better answer. I think. So I, I did go with Detroit, and I like as much as I just sold Jabari Smith as a shooter to play with Cade Cunningham. I like the speed difference that Jaden Ivey has yeah. along with that pace game for Cade because it gives him a different p- feel. You have Cade who's who's slow and steady, they can hit the gas, and Jaden's similar just with like supercharged ability to do that. Like his step on the gas is is as crazy as, as anything we've seen in the last few years, I would say. Keeps the defenses guessing, keeps them on their heels. It's not going to be the the same kind of way that they run their offense every single time. The other kind of twist I had is I'm well, my answer is the Pistons. It should be the Kings. It, it really should with them at four. But the Kings already prioritized Davion Mitchell over Tyrese Halliburton. So I would assume they do the same with Jaden Ivey. Like, we, hey, we, we got our backcourt. We don't want to put a, another guy here. We just got rid of Tyrese Halliburton. So my short answer is Pistons, but I, I think it, it ultimately should be the Kings. Now, now give me something wild because I know it's coming. Mine's the Pacers. I don't hate that. I actually... I think the Pacers should be trying to do whatever they can to move from six to four. And here's the reason why. Jaden Ivey with what, – what is the thing that we think he needs to play with? It's like a great ball handler that can also make decisions in high-level passing reads, right? It's that. Tyrese Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Like if you mix him with Tyrese Halliburton, that is an unbelievable backcourt. That is a potential top three backcourt in the NBA at some point, if it all breaks right for those two. Oh, those are two potential all-stars in the backcourt. And they complement each other perfectly because Tyrese is an incredible shooter as well off the ball. It's also a, a testament to Tyrese Halliburton because a lot of these guys said, oh, well, it pairs nicely with Tyrese Halliburton. Everybody pairs nicely with Tyler, Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. Shooters, guys who play fast, guys who play slow, pick and roll guys, pick and pop guys. Uh, we've been Tyrese Halliburton stands for a while, not as high during the, the draft. We weren't as, I don't know, I didn't think he was going to be a top three, five guy coming out. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think I had him at like six or seven, so I was pretty high, but like, but higher. I, I didn't he, have he's him higher like than this. that. Uh, yeah, I know they didn't win as many games as they'd like to, but I, I did like what they saw with Indiana's core. That's probably a piece or two away. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about here is why the Kings like fucked up trading him. I think mm. because he just makes everyone's life easier. He's not the one you move. You move 
De'Aaron Fox, and then you figure out the rest around Halliburton, I think. But I digress. Pairing Tyrese Halliburton, Malcolm Brogdon, also Miles Turner, who's like an incredible floor spacer at the five, incredible pick and pop weapon. That floor is going to be emptied out in the middle of the court for Jaden Ivey to be able to attack, attack, attack. I think that that is, that's what they need to be doing. And like they have Chris Duarte, right? The, the trade that has come to mind for me is. I'll explain, I'll explain in a minute while I'm laughing. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the trade that has come to mind for me is if I was the Kings, right? And I'm considering trying to win now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Could you do number six in Chris Duarte for number four? Slide Kings slide back two spots, pick up Chris Duarte. And I would do that if I was um if I was the Pacers, because I think the Jaden. I was gonna I say if you're, if you're the Kings, you just want all, all the old draft picks. You got old Davion, old Duarte. What, what are we building here? What what what's what's the foundation? Well, of this? they, need, they, they could use another blocks? shooter, right? Sure. So then what you do is you go out and do you move number six? And look, I don't think I would do this, but if I was the Kings and they are considering this and the Blazers are sitting there at number seven and they have Jeremy Grant and they want Jeremy Grant, right? And maybe yeah. they move number seven for Jeremy Grant. Do you move number six for Jeremy Grant then? That's a lot of pieces. Uh, I I think I'd take number six. I would. And I would play. rather have number six than Jeremy Grant yeah. personally, but I wonder if the pressure to win there is so much. You know, you pick up Chris Duarte, you pick up Jeremy Grant. That's a pretty good draft haul, like to help you win games tomorrow at the end of the day. But you're if selling out in the future is- a little bit because you also don't know how often. Well, I guess the Kings are they're always kind of this range, but you don't know how often you're yeah. going to get a pick in, let's say, top five, but not top six range. It, it doesn't happen oh, I, every every let, single year or shouldn't happen every single year. And now you win and now you're the ninth pick. I don't know if that really moved the needle enough. Yeah, let me be clear. If I was the Kings, I would just take Jaden Ivey at the end of the day, yeah, um, even though I don't think it's the best fit because they have De'Aaron Fox, they have uh, Davion Mitchell. I would still just take Jaden Ivey and then figure out what to do you know, over the course of the next six months or maybe even over the course of the next month. Like I would really strongly consider just moving De'Aaron Fox, right? Yeah. But I also am cognizant that they seem to want to win and I wonder if that's a way to do it. Uh, I- I'm just trying to come up with ideas here at the end of the day. You're an ideas guy. Yeah, I'm an ideas man. So um, as, as, as much as you are an ideas guy, the reason I'm laughing is now this is the second time you've done this. You've read my bullet points for the player or the team right before I did it for like a different player. So no, are we are we good with our uh, our fit here? Let's go. To the next guy. Yeah, so yeah, the next yeah. guy is Keegan Murray, who I think the ideal fit is. The Indiana Pacers. So for what everything Sam said, but but here's yeah. myself. You have Miles Turner. You have Tyrese Halliburton. You have Malcolm Brockton, Brogdon. You have Chris Duarte. TJ Warren was injured. He's a free agent. Who knows? I like the IQ of Tyrese Halliburton and Keegan Murray mixed together. That is a slice and dice combination of half court. Where you're playing those two out of pick and roll, Chris Duarte in a corner, Magda Brogdon in a corner. You have Miles Turner rolling up high, shooting 34, yeah. 35% from three. Pick your poison because you're going to be beat one of those places. And then if, yep. if Tyrese wants to run, Keegan Murray can run with him. That's a that's the fit I like the best for Keegan. I, I liked yourself for Jaden Ivey too. 
if I were the Pacers, that that would be the guy that that I'd want in that range. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think he'd be the best fit for the Pacers too. Like, I, I love everything about that fit. And the other thing is that you didn't mention is he really complements uh, Miles Turner's mm-hmm. like one deficiency really well in that he's not an incredible defensive rebounder. Uh, Keegan is really good at grabbing. He can go on the break. He can attack. I think that would actually really help uh, Tyrese Halliburton a little bit as well. Halliburton can spray to the corner while Keegan brings yeah, the ball the up ball and little. attacks. Yep. Yeah, like I also really like the Keegan fit to the Pacers. I, I think that if we were talking purely for Keegan, uh, that's probably the spot I like best. I don't love the Kings because I think that uh, Domana Sabonis right. and Keegan defensively is a little too concerning for me. Um, you know, the Pistons work. Like I, I think the Pistons yeah, are great. really good for I, Keegan that, as well. That could be the the landing point. It's a, it's the same sell. It's it's a shooter than. Uh, an offensive versatile player for Cade Cunningham to work off of. Yeah, totally. So I like all of this. Um, I'm trying to think who, who is next, right? Let, let's. I had uh, just a list on a master board, but the the next one I had here was Shaden Sharp. So why don't okay. you lead off? You, you take Shaden Sharp off the board for us. What is the best team fit for the international man of mystery from Canada, from Kentucky? kind of i think i believe the pistons for him and the reason i say the pistons for shade and sharp as the best fit is his ability to shot create out of isolation and out of advantage situations i think meshes really really well with cade cunningham cade is going to be able to twist and manipulate the defense it's kind of similar to the argument i made with jade and ivy right um Kate is going to be able to twist and manipulate the defense, and then he's going to be able to throw it over to that second side, and he's going to be able to find Shaden, yeah. where Shaden's going to be able to potentially get a scrambling defender uh, you know, coming back out to him, and he's going to be able to attack, close out, and get to the rim, or he's going to maybe get a mismatch when the scramble happens, and then he can really create off the isolation and get to his step-back jumper. Uh, his ability to move out in transition uh, is... I think really helpful for Cade. He really headbands the ball. Yeah, I, I think that Detroit makes a lot of sense for Shaden. Uh, I think Shaden, you know, makes a lot of sense for Detroit. I would probably go more in the Shaden Ivy um, direction if I was Detroit than if I was, you know, thinking more along the lines of like Keegan and all of those guys. A lot of the Shaden Sharp highlights from grassroots from high school are from those kind of like skips where he's baseline, can rip through, take one dribble, gather, and try to yep. jump as high as he can, which is very high, and rip the rim off and bring a defender with him because he's so strong. My pick for Shaden Sharp is a San Antonio. It's an immediate infusion of strength athleticism to the Spurs, a team that hasn't made the playoffs in three years. You have to take a swing. You have to add more talent. This gives them a different look than what they have. They have a great development program. You look at Duante Murray. You look at Keldon Johnson, both picked 29th overall. Duante Murray, most improved player in the NBA, or one of them. You can throw the award out. Who cares? Keldon Johnson's on Team USA. I mean, think about that. What happens now when they can have their hands on the ninth pick in the draft? What does he look like in three years? You can pair him with Josh Primo. I mean, give me a break. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah, I, I, I like the Spurs for him as well. I, I don't have a strong take. I know that you just wanted to get your primo love out there. I'm not taking <laughs> I was waiting for your reaction. I just wanted like the one raised eyebrow, like, okay, great. 
move on. Hopefully. I refuse to take the bait on that. I, <laughs> you know what? It's like that. You, you put you put the bat signal for questions. I don't look. I, I like to be surprised. But you did it so early that I, I did look as we're recording. Somebody writes every single time in almost every single video. When will Josh Primo be an all star? <laughs> We need to have it. that. Here, you'll hold never on. Let, let's shout. No, seriously, let's shout this guy out because he does ask every single time. It's <laughs> it might be three one one three ry. Um, when will Josh Primo be an all star? He asks every time. Shout out, man. We really appreciate it. Um, Penny, I'm just going to give you the floor. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have know. a take I mean, on this. You started a playing game. We're getting there. We're getting closer. This is actually a big season for him because the this was the sell was what pick is he in this draft? Is he uh, better than 12th? Yeah. Is he probably 6th or 7th? I'd say probably, and especially what we saw him do during the G League showcase where he's lined up against those guys. They played the Ignite. I'm like, I'd take Primo 10 times out of 10 over anybody on this team, and we're talking about Dyson Daniels as a, a top 10 pick. He'll have to show it now on the court in an NBA game for extended minutes. I think the Spurs done a good job bringing along slowly and then toward the end of the year saying, you're going to play now. You're going to play some minutes. The season's kind of over. It's kind of decided. Um, I'm still encouraged. We'll see. Let's talk in a year. Okay. Let's do my guy next. Let's do Jeremy Sohan. Yeah. This is a fascinating one. It is. I- my immediate take was the Spurs yeah. for Sohan. And it was for a lot of the reasons you said. On top of that, I think that his defensive versatility would fit really well with what Pop wants to do. He'd get to stay in Texas where he's already comfortable. Not that that really matters. <laughs> well, he's also a nomad. He's lived in five countries in five years. But, yes, he, he wouldn't yeah, have to move too far. Um, Yeah, let's, let's give him some stability, right? Uh, the Spurs need a big – like defensive minded four man and, and like a big four that just can essentially play the role, right? Like they, they need somebody in that spot. Um, Kelton Johnson's a really good fit with him. I think because of his attack oriented nature of his game. Uh, I love the idea of pairing him with guys like Josh Primo uh, with DeJounte Murray to an extent. Like I think that the lack of shooting between Murray and Sohan would cause some potential issues, but totally. I, I do like the idea of getting Sohan to a place where I think he'd be able to play relatively early. Cause I do think Jeremy will be able to make an impact early defensively. Uh, and he's smart enough to where I do think he's going to be able to make an impact. Uh, even if the shooting takes a while to come along, the Spurs have a really good track record of shooting and developing shooting. My other spot is another team that has great track record, develop developing shooting. And it's the Orla- uh, new Orleans Pelicans. Uh, damn it. Yes, I agree. That's uh, your fit? Yeah, no, I, well, I think it's great. I had to. I'll, I'll start with the Spurs. I don't know if they need another non-shooter there. I agree. You, you need some size, so that's why you'll hear Jalen Dern, maybe Mark Williams. I don't know. Did Jack Podol's going to be a free agent What in a year? You need sort of a insurance policy or, or whatever it may be. I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head right here. I had the Pelicans as well. We didn't, when we did the prospect videos, we didn't call out the Pelicans, I think. And somebody called us out for not calling the Pelicans, but I like it because he can just go in and play defense. That's, that's his strength. The offense isn't there. Fine. The CJ McCollum trade worked. You have Brandon Ingram. Herb Jones can now play offense and is awesome. Trey Murphy's getting there, throwing a a healthy Zion, uh, Jonas Valanciunas. That, that's a really, really good core of guys that, 
push the Suns to six games in the playoffs. The other one that sort of from a team, just the hole is there is the Blazers. That's the cleanest fit per se. Yeah. I mean, they need something out of the four spot. Jeremy Sohan could be that guy. They may also need more offense. That's why I didn't pick them because they ranked 27th in points scored per game. I know it's a little skewed because Damian Lillard didn't play. It, it's going to get better, but they need to win now. And usually winning now means an offensive scoring hub and not this defensive hub as Jeremy Sohan is. Yeah. You know, like another team that makes sense is the, uh, the thunder as well. Like the thunder will give him the time necessary. Like if you paired him and Chet Holmgren in the front court, uh, as your four and five, and you just let him loose Mm -hmm. defensively. I mean, that, that might be my favorite potential pairing that could realistically happen in this draft class. Do you uh, think you realistically pair- he lasts till 12, though? Look, I, I think it's a definite potential outcome. I don't know that he will last until 12. Uh, I think that part of what makes Jeremy Sohan so valuable is the fact that he can be a fit for a drastic number of teams in the top 10, right? Like, I think he fits really well with the Blazers. I think you can make a case if you're the Pacers, even that like his fit next to Miles Turner, next to all of those guys, like really works well. Uh, I think you can make a case that his fit with uh, New Orleans is phenomenal, with, with the Spurs is phenomenal, with the Thunder. Um, you know, if you put him with the Cavs, like continue to just develop those, you know, ridiculous defensive wings, right? Like find as many of them as you can. It, you'd have to continue to work on the shooting, but like, you know, if you want to continue to just build the best defensive core in the NBA, sure. Why not? Right. Um, but the, the idea of why I like Jeremy Sohan is he fits 90 different places in the NBA. <laughs> well, that so, was my next, but, that's my next sentence. Everybody needs a Jeremy Sohan. I'm running down the lottery. Right. And it's like, he can fit there. He can fit there. There's not really anywhere that stands out that says now nah, that that just doesn't mesh as well as, as the next one. Right. Um, who do you want to go with next? Who, who are we up to? I think we're up to Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Okay. Uh, where do you want to go? Second. Uh, I didn't, this, this was a, a tougher one for me. I went with the Portland trailblazers and I did because it is a score with size. Yeah. He is further along than St. AJ Griffin or Malachi Branham or Johnny Davis. It's a different look than Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, who had a good year without him there. It's sort of like this combo of, of the two of them together. Mm-hmm. I know the Blazers also want to win now or make a move to win now. The best move for them in this range is probably a trade. But if they don't, and just for this exercise here, Benedict Matherin turns 20 as a rookie, so he's like a, a little bit older than more of these expected lottery guys. I don't know what the timeline is and if we're just purely speculating that they want to win now, but – it's more size in the backcourt. You could say those two are, are paired up. He's already worked out there. He's been working out really good. The feedback from everywhere is, is that's the way it's been out there during this pre-draft circuit. So that's why I went with the Blazers for uh, for Ben Matherin here. Do you know where new assistant general manager of the Portland Trail Blazers, Mike Schmitz, went to school? He went to school at the University of Arizona. He did. So he's going to have threats. good intel. Well, somebody you know? didn't somebody also pull out that <laughs> well, as soon as Mike took the job, which, which is awesome for him. He's he's everywhere. He works really hard. I'm happy for him. Somebody pulled off the ESPN like 
top 20 like we officially have the trailblazers draft board like here it is they picked seventh and i think it might actually been ben matherin or whatever the pick was uh, i gotta get a kick out of that yeah look i i don't know how much of those rankings is john how much of it is I mike I, it was, it was I will say like like i i haven't talked to john and mike for like i've talked to mike maybe semi recently but i haven't talked to john and mike you know for you know a couple years like we're we're friendly. We see each other when we're out. Like, you know, it's a what's up. It's, you know, I, I, I like both those guys a lot. I hope they have respect for me on some level. Um, and I have a good <laughs> relationship with Mike you. for sure. Um, but they do have like pretty different takes on things. Sure. Uh, for the most, like I, people shouldn't like, it, I know that like, that's just like a fun joke. Right. But like they, they have different enough takes on things to where I wouldn't necessarily expect that that is what you should expect on draft night. But if you put on your tin tin foil hat here and you're you're talking about Ben Matherin or talking about Arizona, he definitely has an inside track being there. But I think per his contract, he doesn't technically start as assistant GM until this draft cycle is over. Yeah, that is accurate. I mean, Joe Cronin is going to be calling him. I will say this too about the Blazers. Like everything I understand is that Joe Cronin is the guy that tends to swing for upside more so than like, you know, the safe pick. So could that be, you know, honestly, like Ben Matherin's only 20 years old. Like he's very young and very good already. And I think there is a case that you could make that he has tremendous upside, but does he swing for Jeremy? So, does he swing more for like the projecty guy that could be better? The Blazers are fun though. I, I actually really like that They're pick. Fun. That was it was either them or it was New Orleans for me, just because I think New Orleans needs to keep finding more shooters, even though they just drafted Trey Murphy last year. Uh if you're gonna play Zion and you're gonna have uh Herb Jones playing a substantial role and you still have Jonas Valanciunas under contract, you're gonna need as many shooters as possible to surround those guys with. And Matherin fits like in a pretty substantial way there. Uh I, I do really like that as well. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, let's move to Dyson Daniels. Dyson. Okay. You're up. My You're fit first there thing. was also the Pelicans. Oh, I like the Pelicans. That was my second Because choice. what is the one thing we say that Dyson needs? Uh, there's a few things. That, that Dyson needs. What, what's the one you're thinking of? I was going to say. Shooting. <laughs> like needs to be able shot. to shoot. Yeah, right. Consistently. Okay. Yeah. I know there's a Like if he shoots so. consistently, he's at, he's at the very least a starter and a high level impact player on a playoff team. Right. Yeah. Like no, no questions. Right. Well, I mean, you just listen to David Griffin on Ryan Rosillo's podcast. Shout out Rosillo. Uh, the thing that he said is that we feel confident that we can get guys to improve their shooting because we have Fred Vinson, who's one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA. Dyson fits a lot of what they need and what they could use. I mean, the ball is going to be in Brandon Ingram's hands a lot. It's going to be in Zion Williamson's hands right. a lot. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense there to go with Dyson because his shot isn't broken. If it's just small things, like you could see a world where Fred Vinson has him shooting like at a reasonable level at low volume this year and then like at medium volume next year even. Eliminate the dip. He has a big dip when he catches and goes down. I'm laughing because you mentioned the podcast that David Griffin's on. You're taking some fingerprints on it. And if you watched the Celtics game last night, I I hope you did. 
one of the reporters asked Draymond Green said, Hey, you kind of say a lot on your podcast about like defensive coverages. Do you think like the opposing teams listen to that? That's neither here nor there. The fact that podcasts have become such this main space thing for clues and, and basketball is just amazing to me. For Dyson Daniels, I went with Washington. And why I went with Washington is they've needed yeah. a point guard for a few years now, and he's not a traditional point, but he can guard or defer uh, on offense. He can become more of a point guard later in the year. It works well next to Bradley Beal as he doesn't always need the ball. Dyson doesn't always need the ball to be effective. Brad Beal can have the ball in his hands, be ball dominant, be comfortable with that. And then if they want to go the route where it's flip the ball to the other side, to, to Dyson, for Brad to come down for pinoff, to him to make, make some plays, you can do that. And Dyson can still cut and move. It's a youth play. He's a very uh, young player. The development can still be there. and It's not have to be like day one, ball in your hands. We don't have any guards figured out. Yeah, I also love this fit. I think this makes so, so much sense next to Bradley Beal, especially if Beal is going to stick around there long term. Uh, I, I would absolutely like sprint to the podium if I was the Wizards and Dyson Daniels was still on the board. Um, would be enormous for them. I, I think that he adds every single thing that they really, truly need Uh from an organizational perspective, if they're going to continue to go down this road that they're going down developmentally. Uh, I love that idea. I love Dyson Daniels uh, to the wizards. I think it makes so, so much sense. Um, Okay. Next up we have Johnny Davis and I am absolutely giving you the floor on Johnny Davis. Thank you, Johnny Davis. And this is probably lower. So I don't want people yell at me agents gms oh i talked to so many gms here yell at me uh i'm gonna go with the cleveland cavaliers for johnny davis here's why say colin sexton's out he's a restricted free agent you can roll out a lineup of darius garland johnny davis isaac coral if you want evan mobley jared allen defense factors into a team that's already upgraded their defense the last two drafts and now you have this tough kid who has the defense. We're, we're not knocking that, just maybe a little bit of the size because he's not huge as a guard. Yep. But that works because the the rest of the guys behind you are, are all like longer dimensionally than a traditional front court would be. You don't need him to have that offensive output there, the type of guy that Sexton was, or even the type of guy usage rate-wise that he was at Wisconsin where he was the literal head of the snake for that team. He, it's this is still probably lower that he does go and it's not a knock on him it's just a much better situation for him to come in and be a piece of a borderline playoff team day one than it would be to have to be the foundational piece if he goes in the top seven this was also my favorite fit for him i totally agree with you I, like i would love to see him next to darius garland i would love to see johnny davis next to evan mobley uh his ability to create shots i think particularly getting him in uh situations where he can be the second side guy and can then uh create off of that i think he could actually derive some more attempts at the rim as opposed to settling in the mid-range more often uh because he is a good athlete i really really quite like uh that fit like i think it just makes a lot of sense like if that would happen i would probably really strongly look at signing trades for colin sexton at that point i i would um if he fell to 14 i think it'd be a great win for johnny davis another team where i think it makes sense like the knicks make some sense like you put him next to rj barrett i think that you'd have just two really tough dudes that 
drive. They like mid-range shots, obviously, and like you'd have to worry about the way that that would work. But like, I don't know, two tough two-way defensive guards that can also create their own shot. Those are guys that are hard to find, man. Like they just are. And I really, really, really like the idea of combining those two. Maybe that's how you make it work with Emmanuel quickly at the lead guard yeah, spot. That was um, my one, one hold up. What, I know they're hired quickly. What do you do and how does that work with him and RJ Barrett? Oh, I think it helps Emmanuel quickly. Like Emmanuel quickly can, you know, play both on and off the ball. Uh, he, I think, does need two good defensive wings next to him to be successful. I think that's how you make an Emmanuel quickly led backcourt work long-term. Yeah, no, I I think that the Knicks and the Cavs are my two favorites for Johnny Davis. I I really like the idea of both of them. Um, You're up now again with Mark Williams. Mark Williams, easy. we've talked about this a thousand times over. It's the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. He defends with with the mean streak, and that's what they need. Block some shots, can switch a little bit on the perimeter, rim run, catch lobs. Lamelo needs the horses to run with him. He's a beast. It's the exact role that he had at Duke. Just do that now in the NBA. We're not asking more of you. We're not asking less of you. Crank the motor all the way up. Just have that energy in the front court, and, and you're our guy. Yeah, I think Mark Williams' best fit is unequivocally the Charlotte Hornets. I need to see Mark Williams running the floor, catching lobs, from LaMelo Ball. I need to see LaMelo Ball sprinting the court with Miles Bridges on one side and Mark Williams on the other side. Like, this is the most fun potential outcome. And then Mark actually fills a substantial need for them defensively as arguably the best rim protector in this draft class. It's a, he fits a need for them. It's a perfect fit for him. Everything across the board says Mark Williams makes sense for the Charlotte Hornets. Don't mess it up. Yes. Here's here's the one thing that doesn't make sense here. (laughs) It's that Michael Jordan is the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. And would he really, truly take a Duke guy in the lottery? Uh, Oh, that's that's a good twist. Does he just take Oshai because he's old? He likes taking seniors. Who's who's older? Who else, who else we get? Mark's like, not young. Like it's fine. No, I mean, he doesn't take that many not, old guys anymore. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an old draft joke for our uh, old draft heads here. But yeah, that Mark Williams don't don't do this. Don't break our hearts. You have two chances to get him to at thirteen to fifteen. If they know, go anti Mark Williams, both of them, I'm gonna lose my mind. And here's the other thing too: you should take him at fifteen, not at thirteen, because. The Cavs have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Do you really think they're taking a, a big at 14? It would just be heartbreaking if that's their guy. Like, say, NBA teams, their boards don't look like ours. Mark Williams would be third on, like, their board, right? If you right. play that strategy and for whatever reason, the Cavs are like, yeah, we're trading it to um, Milwaukee. They wanted to pick, and Milwaukee's like, oh, yeah, we love Mark Williams. Then yeah, it's like, true. oh, what have we done? Yeah, maybe you so do. How confident, how steady is your poker hand during this play? Yeah. No, I like that. That's a fair point. Okay. Uh, Jalen Duran. Next up, Jalen Duran. I also had the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, we've talked about Nicole Potal's free agency upcoming. I looked; it's one more season, and then he's a free agent. It's toughness up front. Again, you have the development, the skill work the Spurs have done in the past. Bring him along slowly. He only turns nineteen in November, and and we've given him a, a rough shake of it, and expected him to be this twenty year old as a freshman. He's not, even though he looks like it. If you looked at his draft pictures, he looks ridiculous. Like 
absolutely chiseled out of granite, looks in the best shape of his life. Memphis was uh, a lot for him, expected a lot. He w- wasn't ready for it. Should he have done another year of high school? It's another podcast for another time. He doesn't have to be that way in San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for a lot of the same reasons we said Mark Williams, like Jalen Duran, again, makes a lot of sense for Charlotte. Uh, very similar in terms of what the idea is behind what they can do. I will say that Jalen Duran, I think, will throw down cooler dunks and catch cooler <laughs> lobs from Lamella because yes. one of it like Jalen Duran will be cooler. I, t- I promise you that. Yeah, one of Jalen Duran's best skills is that ability to just like catch everything with one hand with his enormous. No, it's like hands. Superman. You know, when he takes off two yeah. feet, it's two feet one hand. He's he's all the way back. It's like a la Dwight yeah. Howard back in the day. Unbelievable. So yeah, I like the idea of Jalen Duran um, to Charlotte. I think he makes a lot of sense there. Uh, you know, if if the Knicks again, like Mark, for this, it's the same as the Mark Williams stuff. Like if the Knicks decide to move on from Mitchell Robinson, like you can make a case for them. Um, you can make a case for San Antonio. Absolutely. I think, uh, you can make a case for Portland. If Portland decides like, Hey, we don't want to keep Yusuf Nurkic. Although it seems like based off of their public comments that they're planning to keep Yusuf Nurkic and thus that kind of falls apart a little bit. Um, yeah, Washington has a big, uh, Cleveland obviously has multiple bigs. It would not surprise me if one of Mark Williams or Jalen Duran slides down the board just a little bit, depending yeah. on the way the draft shakes out, just because it's harder to find landing spots like Washington at 10 should not be taking a big New Orleans should not be taking a big um, Indiana should not be taking a true big uh, like if the Knicks are Nick, resigning Nick Mitchell Robinson, they shouldn't yeah. be taking one right like. Charlotte should only be taking one at 13 and 15. So that takes away a pick. Uh, Cleveland should not be taking a big with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Like there, there's just a lot there. Obviously teams can move up and down the board, but how many teams really want to give up multiple assets for a true center? I don't know. It's questionable. Yeah. And that, once you start, that's what the name of the board, that's why guys start going down because it's a board. It's, it's still team fit. People will yell and say, don't draft for team fit. But if you signed a guy to a mega contract in the front court, you're not going to take another center. That's just the way it is. It, it's, it's better you, if it's more versatile guards and wings. Like that's not necessarily yeah. the same thing. You have a five that you're paying a ton of money, unless it's a leverage right. play to get them out or to expand and do something else. You're not taking them. That's it. Right. Like that, that's the space where team fit like really truly matters. I think is. Like if you have a ton of resources expended in the front court, like Cleveland does already, you should not be taking a big in the front court. Just period point blank. Okay. Uh, the last guy we have on our list here is AJ Griffin. You're up. <laughs> um, oh man. Ah, uh, this, this is gross. I can, I, I can start. I, I, this might be like a little bit lazy. As much of the reason I said about Johnny Davis adding defense yeah. to Cleveland, I think Cleveland just like mask some of the deficiencies defensively yes. that that AJ Griffin has. It's the protection behind him, just come in and shoot the basketball. He had an unbelievable shooting season as a freshman at Duke. If he's just there as a jump shooter and if he's beat off the bounce, you have two or three rim protectors behind you or rotational defense. That would be great for him as a rookie. Yeah, I think San Antonio makes sense. For him, just as another wing shooter, I think that Oklahoma City could take a dive into the A.J. Griffin-like boat just because 
if you have Josh Giddy, you have Shea Gilgis Alexander, having a killer floor spacer next to those guys would be really, really helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. We've got Cleveland here. You mentioned Cleveland. I think that makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, if Charlotte decides to move Gordon Hayward this summer because they're going to give Miles Bridges a lot of money and they don't replace him with another wing, that is an interesting potential fit if you see like the chess moves down the line. And obviously Charlotte, you know, has a plan for what they're going to do. I would imagine. Um, yeah. I, I think that all those teams make a lot of sense. Cleveland, Cleveland would be phenomenal. I love the idea of Cleveland. Yeah, me too. And and you know what? I love the idea of, I thought we we're going to miss a team. We did a fit for every single team in the lottery. Including, for us. including Oklahoma City at 12, who really like we didn't have to like have a fit for, but we still did. So if Jeremy Sohan's oh, there, run, take Sohan, take Chet. That's a great one two punch from the four five position. Okay. Mailbag time. What's the number? I don't know. I kind of lost track. Oh. Um, so much. Lost track. I'll look. I won't look at the questions. Let's, how many? Let's see here. This works. Let's see here. Is it possible for Jalen Duran to get to a Robert Williams level down the road from sports fan 405? Uh, there is. And the way we just talked about you walking away from the camera, the way we just talked about potentially a slide down the board. If Jalen Duran slides down the board and ends up with a team kind of like the Celtics, like Robert Williams did, where there's no expectations of coming and being the guy, and we're hailing Robert Williams when he has the games of eight points, eight rebounds, there is a cat or dog on the screen. Uh, and yeah. and uh, she, she demanded to come in again, so I had to let her in. Second show in a row, folks. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know if that's good luck or bad luck. So my short answer is yes. I, I do think he could be like Robert Williams, but you have to also be drafted in like the Robert Williams range. If you think you're taking Robert Williams eighth, you know, teams and fan bases could be disappointed, but he could get to that type of player that Robert Williams is. I think Robert Williams has always been a little bit lighter on his feet than he, what Jalen Duran is. The, he, the guy yeah. who reminds me most of Robert Williams in this class is actually Ismail Kamagate, the more I All watch. right. He's very light on his feet. He's very active. He has that same like seven foot four wingspan, despite being, you know, six ten and a half, six eleven, something like that. Uh Kamagate has a ways to go. <laughs> like, let's just be very clear. Are you just laughing at the dog? Dude, you're a draft analyst and a bond villain at the same time. <laughs> you're gonna be an Ishmael Kamagate rundown. Hold the dog in your lap, and I'm not supposed to laugh. Like his feet are so light, Mr. Bond. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, he, <laughs> he just he stays very light on his feet. The dog um, okay, yeah. can move on can move in the on the perimeter very, very well. Uh has some things to work out. Like it's going to take time for Kamigate, like his positioning, his use of angles, not great, but I actually do have a first round grade on Kamigate and I wasn't sure I was going to get there, but I actually have him ahead of Walker Kessler on my board. I have Kamigate 41st. I do have him behind Kessler, but he's, he's climbing, rising, I guess somewhere in that 30 to 40 place for me. Uh, I liked him when I did the, the international deep dive back on, on guys, I don't know if I'm necessarily as high as you, but yeah, like him. And 
look, I'm not saying Kamigate is like going to be Robert Williams because you should take Robert Williams in the lottery in this draft, very obviously. But like, I I think in terms of similarities, in terms of the way that they move, in terms of the way that they block shots, in terms of the way that there were projects entering the NBA from like a developmental standpoint, uh, I see a lot of similarities there uh, prospect wise. Uh, yeah, and I was also reminded by my friend Pat, and I forgot about this, that draft night, the Robert Williams slide, every pick, they didn't say Robert Williams from like 20 down. We were like fist bumping. Like, All right, two more. We're like almost there. Let's take yeah. it. Let's take the baggage. He's late, whatever. Like we'll take him, and, and it's worked out. He's a, a huge piece of the Celtics run here right now in the playoffs. On one leg. From, Ant- from Anthony D80? Shout out, Anthony. Just the best. He's he's. I actually know Anthony. He's just the best. Uh, who has the best chance to play the big wing two-way role at a playoff level in the lotto slash top 20? Jeez, what a loaded question. There's a lot of pieces to that. A big wing two-way role in the playoffs? Yeah. Like day one, or are we talking like five years? Eventually. I I certainly think that it's like later on. Yeah. Is what he's but are we are we saying like a number one or two option or like oh that guy's like doing it? I'm imagining more of like a like more of like a role player in this regard. Maybe maybe we answer both. Maybe we answer like star quality um, outside of the top, you know, five guys, and then maybe we answer role player. My guy for role player is Oshag Baji. Because he defends and you can just vision in your head him hitting corner threes and we start having the narrative and with, with each other of, well, how did he slide? Well, he is older. It took him a while to get there. The upside isn't there as much. But I could see him be a contributor fairly easily on a playoff team if he's not called on to be a number one or two. Be number yeah. five or six or seven or here he comes off the bench. It's it's kind of like Golden State. Like they're in the people they have come off the bench like how is Otto Potter Porter come off the bench how is Jordan Poole on this team and Wiggins like it, it'll be like one of those situations where he just pops up and you're surprised but not really so Anthony is talking about this from a Knicks perspective because again like I know Anthony um he's thinking about it from their perspective well, so Nick, I'm well, assuming stars so they don't want a, a 15th guy well, I'm assuming he means more in like the 10 range, um, like that, that like late lottery, early teens. So I think Ochai makes sense. Um, I would go Sohan as like a guy that I think could fall that far. Uh, I mean, Jeremy Sohan is look, my love of Jeremy Sohan in this class, just defensively and everything. We have a video up on YouTube, but this gives us a great chance to plug the YouTube channel. Uh, We have a video up on Jeremy Sohan on 10 of these other prospects. We're doing more of them over the course of the next couple of weeks. Go check out the video we did on Jeremy Sohan. Uh, It's like 15 minutes of me explaining basically (laughs) why I love him on that end. It's a 15 minute love letter from Sam. Yeah, he's like six foot nine, moves his feet exceptionally well. I think he's the most switchable big uh, forward that can guard one through five in this class. I would go Jeremy Sohan. But too late. Uh, can he score? Can he shoot? That's that's what I worry it's about. It's a big question for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. Next question here. Best snack food for when you're diving into film. This is from Bryant West. Great one. Uh, it depends on the hour of the day, I guess. I'm I've become a big. Uh, you're gonna 
make fun of the way I say this. I've become a big popcorn guy for uh, watching film. Yes, popcorn, not popcorn. popcorn. Are you saying pop or pup? You're saying pup. I am. Yeah. I think it's a New England thing. Yeah. I think popcorn is my my answer. That or Pirate's Booty. But Pirate's Booty is like a – it's – you can't be taking notes when you're eating pirate's booty. It's there's too much of like the the residue. What in the fuck is pirate's booty? Wait, what? You know what pirate's booty is? No. Oh, they're like healthy cheese curls. They don't have this. Is this this isn't like a Boston thing, right? Like this is isn't this, this is definitely this is a Boston. Like oh no, like I've lived Are in listening? Pittsburgh. Good. If Pirate Booty's listening, in... I'm here. I'll send you my address. You can DM me. Send me some product. I'll, I'll keep pumping it out here. That's one of my favorites. Columbus. I've lived in Denver. I've lived in LA. <laughs> like look it up. It's I've never seen this shit anywhere. <laughs> look it up. Are you looking up? It's a real thing. It is. It's fantastic. I eat it. My son eats it. I, I honestly can't buy it because I eat it like too fast. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's stupid. I, yeah. What is my answer for this? Probably Reese's Pieces for me. Ooh, I'm a big good. Reese's Pieces guy. Um, I eat Reese's Pieces while I watch movies, you know, while I, um, like, I'll like just lay them out like on the table here. We get guy. it. You're a movie guy. You liked E.T. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that connection <laughs> until you just said that. I'm real dumb. Uh, no, it's okay. Let's see here. I do like this question. Who would be the more valuable player if they added a high 30s three-point shot to their game? Tari Eason or Dyson Daniels? Uh, Well, what, what, what did Dyson Daniels shoot this year? 26%? From three, like the that, yeah. and what was Tarisen? He was like thirty-five. I always go with like the more versatile, bigger kind of front courty guys that aren't really front courty guys. So I'd say Tarisen there because that dice dance like pretty close as it is, and you want the jump shot to come around. But if Tari adds that with the transition stuff with some of the defense, I think I would go with him. Dyson's not that close to high thirties. He's like, no, he's twenty. He was twenty-six. It would sound yeah. like he was nineteen percent. Is my point. Hmm. High 30 is like a very good shooter from three, though, just to be very clear. I think my answer would be Dyson. I want more Dyson foot speed than jumper, though. Like, Tari, the rest of the stuff, like, isn't too bad, but the jumper would be a, a major separator. You'd be yeah, a stretch big-ish go. that can kind of guard threes at, at his size. Yeah, I'd go with him. i go with Eason. I get your point with Dyson Daniels. Okay. We got a lot of Dale and Terry questions, and we've oh God, we've talked so much about Dale and Terry on this Sorry. podcast. How Are high we, is too hot? How high is too high? That's the question. That's what I'm. What doing. role do you see Dale and Terry playing in an NBA offense? I think is a better question. This is from Jed Bennett, uh, scouting red zone. Uh, I see him eventually being able to knock down shots, attack closeouts, and make high-level passing reads off of those closeouts. Um, maybe as a secondary ball handler at times, because I think you want to be able to take advantage of his high-level decision-making. Um, but that would probably be more second units at the end of the day. I see him more um, as being able to shoot at some point and then being able to uh, make passing reads off of when guys close out on him heavily. Uh he's going to be able to make high level like kickouts and he's the thing that, so I did Dale and Terry's draft guide profile earlier this week. Cause I wanted to wait until like he was hundred percent in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I remembered about Dale and Terry now, he's fucking unbelievably precise 
it throwing backdoor bounce passes to cutters. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've seen someone who's like that precise with it. Like, and he throws them like low to the ground too. They just like skip off the ground and they hit the guy like right in the fucking, right where his hands are. It's yeah. I thought you were going to say something eloquent, like skipping a rock across the ocean. You're like right in his fucking hands. (laughs) I I see that coming. Uh, I I, I uh, like Dale and Terry. I have him 16th right now. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm nuts. Maybe this is kind of rewriting the board or whatever I'm talking about doing. But to play the one and the two, he, he probably won't start on the ball as a rookie, but can still add that passing, that slashing, that cutting defensively. He can get out and make plays while on the break. His personality is really shining through in, in both workouts and in interviews. Mm-hmm. He's gone through the process and rave reviews almost everywhere he's been. So I'm not surprised of him moving up. I thought he'd be a borderline first-round guy, but sometimes post-March, this is what happens. From John Soch, who were Matt Penny's favorite players from Pangos? We didn't answer that at the top. I kind of did. Uh, Xavier Booker was, I think, my favorite long-term prospect. Bay Fall was very, very good. I thought Elliot Cadeau had a dunk, played well from the guard spot. Uh, I'm trying to think any off more off the top of my head. It, it was pretty balanced, but Xavier Booker to me was really like the guy who uh, I hadn't seen in a year and had significantly improved, and all of the high major, highest high major stuff is beyond warranted. Hmm. Let's see here. Oh, I like Caden Cooper too. I really liked his energy. He was like... He plays with Skill Factory uh, out of Georgia, but it, I got like in a good way some Katie Johnson vibes from like the wing, just really into like every single play and intense. I, I want that guy on my team. <laughs> Let's see. We're scrolling. We're downloading. We're still here. We're scrolling. Your, 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 We're still uh, scrolling. Your podcast did not skip. Don't uh, don't turn it off yet. We'll finish strong. Over the next five years, this is from Courtney Kennedy. Why is everyone so sure Anthony Edwards will be ba- will be better than Jalen Green? I'm not like sure of it. I-, I like I've always liked Anthony Edwards' like intersection of power and explosiveness a yeah. little bit better, and I've always liked his upside a little bit more defensively because of that uh, than Jalen Green. But I-, I don't think that's a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. They're both like fucking 21 years old, or Jalen I think is 20. So. I would know that that's not a sure thing. I'd still take Anthony Edwards. They're both very charismatic. They both uh, have this really deep belief in their game and people are really mad on the internet because that's what we do on the internet. Really mad because Anthony Edwards was asked his dream starting five and he listed himself at the two, which is awesome. Like, like you should, you should list yourself at the two. I love it. I, I like genuinely love when guys do that. It just makes me smile. Like, why would you ever complain about people doing that? <laughs> that was that was the scout on Anthony. Like, uh, yeah, he he thinks he's the best. Good, he is. There's thinks twenty points per game. Okay, I think that's all we're gonna do. To, okay, here here's a fun one. This is what we'll close on. This is a draft uh, draft two way or training camp. It's like MFK basically. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, draft. Okay. So I do three of them. I, I gotta write this down. I'm gonna forget. Draft two A training camp. Draft. Okay, go ahead. Jared Roden, Ron Harper Jr., Keon Ellis. Jared Roden. 
Okay, Ron Harper Jr. And who is my last one? Keon Ellis. Keon Ellis. Okay, go first. I think that order. Uh, I would draft what was it again. Draft. Draft two way uh, training camp. I would draft Jared Roden. I would two way Ron Harper Jr. I would training camp Keon Ellis. I would just flip flop Keon Ellis and, and Harper. But I had the same for Jared Roden, which is sneaky because I didn't. Another one that I didn't think like coming, but there's been some positivity and some buzz around him too. Actually, no, we will do this question uh, is the last one. What uh, Hunter Burns here uh, is asking this. Who talks the most shit out of the projected top eight asking for a Pelicans fan? That depends. There's levels to it. Jabari Smith talks a lot. He does. Jed Holmgren talks a lot, but he's kind of like going a little bit. Paulo's quiet, but wake him up. Keegan Murray's not saying anything to anyone. Uh, Johnny Davis can get into a little bit. Shaden Sharp, I don't think, talks very much. I don't think Sohan. So you're probably, well, what about Jaden Ivey? Ugh. I don't know the, the Jaden Ivey backstory, but all, all the reports are, I'd say Jabari or Chet, probably. But Chet's got to go to get there. But when the monster wakes up, that's the one. I think it's probably Chet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's but probably the, the, But the, the stories on Jabari Smith Jr. too and Bruce Pearl will say this in interviews like, yeah, I'm not trying to rip off anyone's work. Who, whoever wrote this article, I'm sorry. I, I don't remember this specific person. But it's like he's a different player on and off the court. Off the court, he's like this yeah, really yeah, nice yeah. kid. He's personable. He's going to Auburn softball games. And on the court, he's like a, a serial killer. Like he's he's talking. <laughs> he wants to murder people. He's doing it. Maybe he's Dexter. That, that's who Jabari Smith Jr. is. Uh Speaking of Dexter, uh, TV shows, movies, what, what have you watched recently? So I did a lot of work on the plane. I didn't watch a lot of TV shows, but I did have my flight to Vegas. I had like a little window of time, a couple hours. So I watched Jackass 4.5, which was a mistake because um, you're on a plane and people are on top of you. I'm, I'm a big human being, so I'm here and someone's right here. And like the third thing was like they put like a firecracker in their like rear and they're like lighting on fire. People are like, what are you watching? Like, is this some type of weird like home video? So I enjoyed it, but I, I wouldn't watch it with like strangers peering over your shoulder. I caught up a little bit on Stranger Things. I'm, I'm still behind there, trying my best, but also watching draft film at 11 o'clock at night and then trying to watch one episode with my half an eye open. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't watched really anything. Shocking. I, yeah, I've just been that so draft locked and loaded. Has, has, has turned your life upside down into the upside down. Yeah. And I have to file it by Sunday, so like it's about to end. <laughs> so it's crunch. But like, yeah, it's down to crunch time. But yeah, no, um, I, I would say that I would say I haven't really watched anything, which is a huge bummer for me. Very surprised. You have Jurassic Park Dominion coming out, or Jurassic World Dominion? Oh yeah, yeah, that's um, <laughs> okay. I'll uh, I'll the. I was texting with a, a friend of mine in the media who uh, is a very good texter and, and very good at communication. He said, I'm at Jurassic World right now. It's about life balance, and I love him. Uh, I'm going to try to go see it Sunday or Monday. I get back yeah. very late Sunday, so I, I'm hoping Monday that'll be my my two hours of like recovery will be a workout, and then Jurassic World, Jurassic Park Dominion. I don't care. The the reviews stink. People are saying out there like like I care. Number one was one of my favorite movies ever. It was so different. As long as the dinosaurs are running around, Chris Pratt is Chris Pratting. I'm good, man. Like I, I'm not worried about like the script not being up to par. I, I'm here for one last ride. And if we're honest, they'll make twelve more of these twenty years from now. 
But for right now, like I, I'm, I'm very excited. You can't take me off this like happiness cloud that I'm on, but I get to go and watch Dino DNA in the theaters one more time. Yeah, like, so this is this is one of my weird things. Like, I don't have that connection with Jurassic Park. Mm. Like, it's good. Like, I, it's but it's never been like one of my things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you gr- you have your things. Like, hilarious. Like. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like I watched a Knight's Tale. Like I would say that. Like <laughs> you think a Knight's, Knight's Tale or Jurassic World? I like look objectively. Oh, no. Jurassic Park oh, is a no. better movie than a Knight's Tale. But like it, I'd imagine that part of it for you is that <laughs> like you Lord. watched Jurassic Park probably 12 times. Oh yeah, when you were yeah. eight years old, yeah. right? Or if like, you're if you're channel surfing, there's certain scenes where it's like, all right, I'm locked in for 15 minutes. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Like I probably watched A Knight's Tale forty times when I was not forty, maybe like eight or ten times when I was like between the ages of like ten and thirteen, right? Right. So, like, it's like that thing where you have that weird connection with a movie that you grow up with, right? Um, I never quite had that with Jurassic Park. Like, I saw Jurassic Park and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. Like, this is fun, Mm -hmm. cool. I was just like probably two or three years too young at the time. I would yeah. Say, I was like collecting like, like the cups day. at McDonald's, like the collectible cups they had. I was, I was in, yeah. I'm still in, I'm, I'm still way in. And the same was with Batman. It's probably like the same time, like Batman, Batman returns. That was mm-hmm. my, I don't know, my elementary days, if you will. Yeah. Like I, I have a bigger connection with like those movies than I do with Jurassic park for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying like, I'm trying to think of like the actual big movies of like the nineties, like that I have a connection with um, randomly like 10 things I hate about you. I've seen a lot. Like I've seen that movie like a that. crazy amount of times. Yeah. Tame of the true. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, I think that what I'm learning is like the movies that I've seen a million times are more like early two thousands movies than like 1990s movies. Cause like that's when time- I turned like 10. Oh, shit. Uh, so like how many times have you seen old school? Oh, hundreds. Yeah, old school is definitely That's the sweet spot. Sure. That was oh, three, I think, right? Yeah, and Wedding Crashers is another one. Like, I've just seen Wedding that Crashers was, so many yeah, times. Oh, what, five? I think it's a four. four or five. Oh, yeah, five. right in yeah. that sweet spot. Those yeah. two were ridiculous. That's just great, like right great, in the pocket. So. Great, great theater movies, too. Like, laughing yeah. with uncontrollably the whole theater. Okay, here's a, here's a good question. What is the movie you laughed at most in the movie theater? It might be old when school. When you saw it. It might be old school. Old school? Yeah. Yeah. Because well, you it, probably saw that right when it, it came out. I think consistently, yeah. though, was Tommy Boy for like a long time. Tommy Boy and Billy Madison were my two, like, you're homesick from school. That was like the rotation. Yeah. Underrated. Tommy Boy. I pro- There's a chance I've seen Tommy Boy more than any other movie in my life. It's close for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the movie I've laughed most at in my life when I saw it for the first time in a movie theater was Borat. Um, yeah, there like were some you see that, that were... for the first time and you were just like crying laughing. It doesn't really hold up. I don't think on repeat viewings, but the first time you're just like, what is this? Well, yes. What is this? When they're running through the hotel naked, I'm like, I, I yeah. can't, this is ridiculous. There's also an out. I think it's an outtake where Borat's in the store asking, uh, what cheese is this? He's like in this. And the guy's like, that's cheese. He's like, this cheese. And he does it for like 50 cheeses just to show like how ridiculous America is by having like 50 different types of cheese. 
I watched it over my buddy's house and I was crying and laughing because it was just uh, another world and a look into Borat. Yeah. I think Step Brothers, I, I laughed till I cried in the movie theaters too. Yeah. The the other one for me that stands out is The Hangover. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember seeing that too. The out, the, uh, yeah. the roll in the credits. I'm like, oh, here we go again. There's some unbelievable scenes and moments we can't depict or talk about on this program, but that that's up there as well. The things we can talk about on this program are that go subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Uh, we're coming up to it, man. It's exciting. Like yeah. the draft is coming. The off season's coming. We've got a lot of really great stuff coming up. Um, we have a cool announcement coming soon. We're going to probably announce it next week. Uh, once yeah. things get moving a little bit more, but super pumped about it. Um, just go subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's going to be videos. There's going to be all sorts of really cool stuff going up there. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, like leave us a rating and review. It's that time of year. Um, it's so fantastic. You guys are the best fan base in the world. Like we're super pumped to have everyone here and to have everyone listening to the show right now. And um, Penny, tell the people where they can find you. Find me uh, in a random gym in Florida and Las Vegas and Boston. I don't know. And also on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny and uh, tagged on a lot of Sam's tweets and videos and hidden on his YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Uh, I will have the draft guide at some point. There are probably stories that will come out before the draft guide comes out. I think our plan is like the Monday of draft week for the draft guide. For the love of God, do not hold me to that people. <laughs> um, but that is the current plan. Um, that's all I've got until next time. We'll talk soon. Bye.